Let us pray. Lord, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. For Christ's sake, working in and through us. Amen. If you know the epistles or know anything about the epistles of the New Testament, which are the letters written by apostles, mostly to churches, sometimes to individuals in those churches. If you know much about these at all, then you know that the church in Corinth carries the reputation for being a church most in need of correction which is precisely what Paul delivers throughout the body of his first letter to the Corinthians. In our first reading this morning, we have, in fact, just heard read the first nine verses of this letter, which make up Paul's introductory remarks. And what I find curious and interesting is this. Taking the introduction in hand alone, apart from the body of the letter, you would never know that the Corinthians, the church in Corinth, was fraught with problems. You would never know that the Corinthians were steeped in erroneous and, to be frank, unchristian beliefs and behaviors. You don't get that from these words that we've heard. In fact, Paul's opening words are really quite generous and gracious and encouraging in tone, especially considering the fact that what follows throughout the remainder of this letter, taking all of 16 chapters, are many strong rebukes and rebuttals that Paul gives voice to. The Christians in Corinth, to be fair, had not given Paul many reasons to be thankful or hopeful over them. In short, they were not growing according to the pattern and the call that Paul had set forth for them. Sometime in the mid-40s, around 45, Paul found himself in Corinth, led by God there, helped plant and establish this church, remained with them for a year and a half, planting good foundation and DNA for them. He left, and some years later he heard reports that the Corinthians were not growing in the image of Christ, as Paul had intended. In fact, they were growing rather in the image of the world around them, which uh, was not hard to do, given the context of Corinth. It was a major metropolis, a capital city of Rome, a center of trade, bringing together many different kinds of people, quite diverse, uh, not unlike most American cities today. It might be fair to say that the marinade of Corinth was not conducive to living out a Christian faith, if it's true that you are what you marinate in. 
And yet, and yet, Paul still finds reason to rejoice. Let me make that plural. Reasons to rejoice over them, astonishingly. And this point alone ought to be an encouragement to us, to any church for that matter, going through its own problems. The Corinthians had set a very low bar, arguably the lowest bar, as a Christian community. And even still, notice the words that Paul shares. Could be summed up in warm greetings and thanksgivings, at least to begin with. And in so doing, Paul is accomplishing two things at once. On the one hand, he is encouraging them. He is seeking to build them. He is not wanting to deconstruct them and leave them broken. He's going to break them, but it's all for the purpose of remaking them. So he's doing that. But upon closer inspection, he's doing something else as well. In so many positive words here, Paul is uh, very creatively and wisely identifying the source of some of their problems. He's getting to the root of some of their problems and touching it, touching that, those nerves by calling attention to some basic things that they have forgotten, basic truths he wants them to be mindful of. You see, Paul is keenly aware that Christians, and this goes for all Christians, Corinthians and Americans included, all of them will go astray when they forget or neglect some basic truths about God having to do with his work and his activity in our lives. Essentially, what it comes down to is this. When our faith becomes more human-centric versus God-centric, alarm bells should start to sound. And this is what Paul is doing. In a subtle way, he is sounding the alarm. In these first nine verses alone, Paul refers to Jesus Christ nine times. Every verse has a reference to Jesus Christ, calling their attention back to God because they're looking elsewhere. And this most fundamentally is his goal. Remember God. Specifically, remember it was God who called you in the first place. So lest we to grow forgetful, we, I believe, would all do well personally and collectively to hear and heed Paul's reminder on this note. This is probably the greatest point he makes. God called you. Remember that. Don't forget it. You have forgotten. God called you. And he does this beginning with himself right in the very first line. He says, Paul, myself, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul did not become an apostle apart from the call of God to make him so. 
You don't get to be an apostle because you want to be. It's because God calls you to that office, and there were only 12 of them. Twelve apostles that were sent out to proclaim the good news. I'm not an apostle. I don't have the authority of an apostle. No matter if I wanted it, I cannot speak as an apostle. Paul uniquely carries this authority because it was given him in a call. And then he turns to the church and he says, To you, Christians, the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. Called. And then at the very end, he caps it off with another reminder of their call. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son. And this, in fact, becomes the very first matter that he takes up in discourse in his letter. Some of the Corinthians had started following the voices and the calls of other authoritative and prominent figures in their midst, and they had replaced the original call of God with other people. Very shortly after this introduction, just a few verses in the same chapter, Paul says this, It has come to my attention that I'm hearing from many that many of you are saying, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or some of you say, I follow Christ. And to this he says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? The answer being to each of those, no, you weren't. You were called by God. It was God who laid down his life for you. It was God in whom you have been baptized and made into a new creature, a new creation. Paul wants the Corinthians to recall this. He wants them to know it for certain that it was God and God alone who called them into relationship. And it is God's call that they should return to because they've fallen by the wayside. Our capacity as Christians to call on God at all as a response is a response. We are entirely completely dependent on him first calling us. Now, this may seem like a minor point. It may seem trivial, but it's not at all. We depend entirely on God to make himself known and to call us personally into relationship. Go back to Abraham. When God called Abraham into a covenantal relationship One of the first things Abraham did was he built an altar where you can read in Genesis chapter 12, it says he called on the name of the Lord. He would not have called on the name of the Lord had God not called him first. It's a response. And so the question for us becomes, why are we here at this altar? Why did you come here today? Why do you come here each week? 
to this place of worship at this altar, supposedly to call on the name of the Lord? Well, there are many options, actually. It may not be as straightforward as we'd like it to be. Is it because it's a habit that you've done it for so long it's part of your routine? Did you want to hear some nice music? Is it a good way to start the week? Has it proven so? Is it because uh, the Advent has a great coffee hour and it's a wonderful time to connect with people? Do you live under pressure that somehow this is all going to add up and be in your favor at the end? That it's your job to please God and coming to church works in that direction? Did you come to hear the preacher? I can, I'm just going to scratch that one off and say, I know that's not it. <laughs> I have no doubt about that. What about this? This is something we can go, grow forgetful of, myself included. Have you not come because you've been called? Have you not come because you are responding to God's unique call on your life? God called you, and you are responding in faith. It may be the faith of a mustard seed, but it's a mustard seed faith of trust that you hear his call and you're responding. This is what Paul wants the Corinthians to remember and to realize and to live into as a reality, that God called them specially. Uniquely. If God had not called them, and if God had not called us, then our assembly together would be in vain. This would all be wishful, but not hopeful, truly. The call of God is the initiating divine act of establishing his people in order to give them hope eternally. Jesus had these words for his disciples. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Do you follow God in the voice of a call, like a sheep follows a shepherd? Do you hear that call? In another instance, Jesus said, You did not choose me. I chose you. We should sit with these words. Let them sink in deeply. And really, it's just the beginning of some of the major reminders that Paul is calling the Corinthians to because he goes on. It begins with a call, but he goes on to say, you've been called to be sanctified. How? Not by yourself, in Christ. You have been called to be a people set apart from the world around you, to be sanctified, set apart wholly to God for his purposes. Even more, you've been called to be sanctified And on top of that, he has given you an abundance of grace, verse 4. And he has equipped you, enriched you in every way you need. 
to live out this call and this sanctified life in Christ. And even more, it is God who will sustain you. God sustains you throughout all the way to the end, Paul says here in verse 8, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what we can take from this is the conclusion that from beginning, that first call, throughout the middle of our walk, and all the way to the end, it is all about God. It's God who calls, it's God who sustains, and it's God who will deliver us in the end. And those are words of hope. Those are words, gospel words, words of good news to let sink in before we get to the harder parts of the letter itself, but we don't have time for that today. Let us sit with that good news. Amen.